0: 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L. Zobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. We have a legendary the man himself come up, built up himself out of coming out of the country. There ain't no stopping him now. He's still going strong. What, you about 25 now, coach? <laughs> <laughs> At least. <laughs> At least 25. Now, <laughs> so we got the legendary coach, Roger Cato. Welcome to Count Time. I mean, it's a pleasure to be here. I know you've been trying... A few time to get me on and you finally got me. Uh, look, uh, that means a lot to me coach for you to take your time to come out. We early in the morning we here on the Southern University campus at the building that, that the house that Roger Cato built and I feel honored to be here and to share this moment with you coach. Thank you. For well I body. feel
1: honored to be in this building because it took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and many years to get this building built. Because when you got it, did they even have a baseball field? Not even a baseball field. Nowhere to practice. I mean, you know, but it was built. This was a, a situation built for someone like me, a challenge. All right. You see, and that's really what it was, a challenge in 1984 when Dick Hill hired me and they had nothing. And the challenge was, you make it happen. You build a field, you get equipment, you recruit good boys, and you win. And all of those things fell into place. And uh, no one thought that I could build, get things built, a field and a clubhouse and other things. Because the administration was fighting me. Oh. They were fighting me to keep me from doing this. You, you, and, had, you had to fight the people who, who say, we're going to hire you to do a job. Not, not Dick Hill, not, not hill. Except, except Dig Hill. It was a way the administration away from athletics. They just didn't get it. And they took a, an attitude, we never had it, we don't deserve it. And that
0: was the attitude coach, that they took. This place had one of the greatest baseball history, in the history of baseball, Lou Brock. And they would not
1: invest they didn't invest. They wouldn't invest. They just, because they didn't see baseball as being a financial windfall for them. They saw it as a, a, a burden because you you weren't making any money and you had to pay our scholarships. You had to pay salary. Okay. You had to pay travel. So they saw it as a burden rather than an asset. And truly, it has been a golden asset for them. They just didn't uh, surmise everything correctly in their thinking in that everything that has value don't also return money. Immediately? Immediately. Right. Baseball was bringing positive publicity to the university. They were selling the university. Mm-hmm. They were able to see it baseball as the window they see the university through. Great image by the players or tradition and you know, so that was a lot of good things that they missed out on when it as it relate to baseball because they only looked at money. Well, back then, football was the only sport back in the 80s at historical black school at Southern. Football was the only thing making some money and um, because you didn't have but 12 sports back then. You see, that's where and you didn't have that many women's sports. Well, know? right. The point is, you didn't have them. Them non-revenue, as we call them, Olympic sports. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a bunch of them. You had twelve. You had uh, men and women basketball. You had men and women track. That's eight or four, and you had track uh the uh, cross country, and and uh, indoor and outdoor. So, and then you had tennis and golf. And you had baseball and football. Those was it. That was it. That was it. So you didn't have them when the NCAA came in and you had to add sports.
0: Because, and they had Rodney Mealborn to, uh, to Willie Davenport. They
1: had, Olympia, they, had,
0: they had Olympia athletes attending Southern University at that time. Two gold medal winners. Two gold medal winners right here at the university. And well. people, somebody like Lou Brown. But you played two sports yourself. So now you need to tell how country boy like you come out of, that area that area name again? New Roads.
1: I was uh, adventurous <laughs> where I was born, but eventually moved to New Roads and went to Rosenwald.
0: And, and you, you went to the Rosenwald School?
1: Rosenwald High School in well, New okay. Roads.
0: Education was not important in your family. That it wasn't important to
1: no black person, back then. Back then. Okay. it was a imp- hold up, okay. I need to back up. Okay. Right. It was important but you were being denied. Education was important but we were being denied education simply because we had very little rights and we had, we didn't have assets. So we were forced to work for literally nothing. You got me? So that was the thing. So I'm never going to say education wasn't important right. because I, it was. Education got you where you are to this day. Yeah, well, because I fought came. the system. Mm-hmm. I fought to get through the system. I was I was different, if you
0: ever want to put it. But in your book, I wish. I, did you bring a copy of your book? Yes. You got a copy of your book here? Yeah. Because <laughs> we need to have your book. Because you wrote a book. Wasn't that what that book was? Yes. Against All Odds. Against All Odds. And in that book, you talk about where you worked with your dad in the fields in the morning, uh, cleaning, I mean, doing little... Doing he, everything, everything he did. And and that's where you thought you was going to be stuck at. You couldn't even read that good. You no, you just, couldn't read. Couldn't read. And how old were you when you learned how to read? Learn to read. Well, I was beginning to uh,
1: the day that uh, I had that conversation with my daddy. See, I got, we got to talk about the conversation oh, okay, before we talk about the reading, <laughs> all right? Because without that conversation, reading never going to happen. <laughs> okay, you got me. All right. And I was about twelve years old, and uh, we were about to go in the field, and I can't remember do what was it, pick cotton or corn, and then. My daddy was on the east side, I was on the west side. East side of what? The wagon. The wagon. The wagon. I remember it like it happened yesterday. Okay. You know, the wagon, you know, about six feet wide, mm. 10 feet long, 12. And he's, and he's leaning on it. I'm looking and I said, Dad, I don't want to do this. I want to go to school. And he's saying, son, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, yes, I do. I said, yes, I do. I'm not going to do this. I was adamant about it. I'm not going to do this. And I said, you know, in so many ways, I'm going to be a problem for you. You're going to always be fussing at me and having to want to discipline me because you ask me to do something I have no interest in. And I said, plus, we're never going to be able to make anything from here. We are working for free. You, you figured that out at 12 years? Boy, you know? I figured that out at quite a young age and had told my daddy about it. And he always knew that this, I got a kid here who knows, he knows what's going on, and I can't, I can't knock it out of him, because that was the thing. <clears throat> when you got a kid who sees what's going on, and you know the system is against you, the system could get me killed. You know, I could literally be killed. That's what would happen when someone <clears throat> like me, Start being... Ch- start challenging the system. Challenging their yeah, system. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. He knew that at a, quite at a young age, sorry. maybe seven, eight years old, I was talking stuff. Uh, like, hey, let's buy pick pecan and go buy a uh, property. And, you know, he said, son, what are you talking about? <laughs> so we that's the only way we're going to be able to make it. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm hitting on the that's table.
0: Okay. That's good. I'm preaching. <laughs>
1: that's good. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I was always a little off everybody else there and people were telling my parents I was crazy because I was different in that regard from everybody else. They were all accepting the sims. So once I convinced my daddy that I had to go to school, reluctantly, he said, go boy, go. (laughs) And boy, you talk about a relief off of my shoulders. I mean, simple word as go, boy, go. Okay, yeah. See, and, and if he was alive today, I would tell him those very few words not only freed me, but freed him. Let me tell you why. We were unique in that area, in that everybody had 10, 12 kids. They were producing a lot of kids to work for free. You know, that's what the man requires. You got 40 acres, you need a lot of kids to work the fields. We only had three kids. There was only three kids in our family. You only had three? We had a small family, and I was the youngest of the three. Now,
0: name name the other... other,
1: My sister named Betty, my brother named Henry. Now, what was your dad and mom name? My mother name was Eunice, my daddy name was Expert. But they called him Expert because he was so good. It was okay. Expert. It's a different kind of name, but they call it. Let's spell that name. E X P R T, Expert. Oh, okay, Expert. That's the only name I ever knew him by because that's what everybody called him. You see, everybody had a nickname too in that area. And that people lived and died. I never knew their name because I only knew their that nickname.
0: That's where it was in our community all over, probably. What was your mom's maiden name? Badly. Badly. I'm you, but your they mom all grew up in the same area. Same area. There was no medical care.
1: I never saw a doctor <laughs> until I came to Southern. That was first time I ever saw a doctor. Okay,
0: okay. you got me. Okay.
1: You just the you know my daddy was the doctor. If we got ill, he fixed something up and he got us well. He could go get something and put it together.
0: So so he he knew what what to go get out of the uh, field and uh, yeah that, we they had okay. they knew. They knew certain things would cure certain things. Right, they call that, what they, what they call that? Uh, urban, they use
1: herbs. use herb. herb natural herbs. Natural, they, because they figure if it wasn't a heart attack. Now, you, did, you, did you know your
0: grandparents on your mom or dad's side too?
1: Yeah, I knew both of them. Both of my grandfathers, my dad daddy lived to be 96. Uh-huh. My mother daddy got to be 95. Now, th- my, my grandfather on my mother's side was the one who I got to talk to. I, had, I was fortunate again. Okay. There were two people other than my daddy I talked to, two men. One was a barber who lived next door, and my you grandfather. What was the barber name? Was money, we call it Money. <laughs> His name was Stafford Nelson. Stafford Nelson, but we call it, it Money. money. It. <coughs> and Mozart Bandley. Moses was my grandfather. And he ran the bar. bar. So remember, where do places people, black men go and talk? When they go to the barber, barber. and go to the bar. And those are the men I got to talk to growing up. And I got to learn a lot. Because they knew stories. They heard them all in the barroom, and in the barbershop they had information. They passed it along to me. So I had an advantage. When other young people were running around doing stuff, I was, when I wasn't with Stafford, I was with my grandfather under the big oak tree talking. For real, under the oak tree? Yeah, it was a big old uh, oak tree in this front yard.
0: (coughs) And we would sit and talk. Now now you sound like, uh, what his name is? (coughs) The guy who wrote the book? (laughs) <laughs> From New Roads. Gaines. Under that oak tree. Uh, yeah, well oak trees are popular in that not, part. Not, you, now you, you was on a, y'all was on a plantation.
1: What plantation was it? Eli Jarrow's. Plantation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to, and uh, my grandfather, we sit and we there for hours, we were talking, and he would smile and he said, You Look, you see them boys over there? <laughs> They're going to be in trouble, you're not. You're gonna be all right. all right. He said, they're gonna end up getting in trouble. Look at him, listen to him cursing over there. So your grandfather spoke that to you? You're spoke gonna be it. all
0: right. You're gonna be all right. Fast forward a little, I end up going to college. Okay, but no, you say, you say you could not read. Yeah, okay. So, so what age, when you say you could not read, when you started learning how to read? Well, I never really learned to
1: read. I, I learned to emphasize, emphasize, emphasize how to get by. You know what I'm saying? I mean, learning to read just being able to really read. You know, I went, when you don't learn the foundation, the basic, it's difficult. Would you agree? Very difficult. If some people are able to do, but I taught myself, after my, my daddy gave me the okay, I went and got the newspaper and read it front to back every day. That's why I taught myself, keep in mind, you, they didn't have time to teach me in school. I had already missed it. It would be, it was unfair for the teachers to hold back everybody to just bring me. Along. Why do that to everybody? The one guy that they there, you gonna have to find a way, fin, to catch up. You got me? I understood that. It was never an issue. I understood that. See, I understood everything that's what's negative happening to me. I understood why. And it wasn't all my fault. It was the system that I came up under, put me in that peril, you got me? It put me in a bad situation. So I knew I had to find a way to fight out of it. I did the very best I could. And they're socially promoted me, you know what I'm saying. This is what they did. They probably
0: did it in your area too. Oh yeah, I was. I, I, I guess I learned to read a little to get to get by. Yeah. So, yes.
1: Well, I couldn't even get by to be honest with you. You
0: could not even get by. I'm talking. You talking about twelve, thirteen years old? Well, I could. I had learned. I hadn't gone to school. I was going to school for one month out of a year. So <clears throat> you didn't go to school
1: like seven one, nine months out of a year. We went. Mm, in December, January, the two coldest months of the year. That's it, that we'll work in the month 10 months when school was open. We had to work. Not many work? kids in my area went to school, not many of them. They're all were in the same boat. You have one a speaker here here and there where kid, the parents send their kids to school. Find a way, you got me? But it wasn't, you know, my brother went to the 4th grade. Now my sister graduated.
0: that's how you the girl ended up graduating. The boy couldn't go to school. Well, he could have. He made the
1: decision not to. So that's really what happened. But you know, all I did was uh, I just kept fighting, fighting along. You know, sort of like you, Lima, you're a fighter. You know, you know, we fought. We had difficult moments. You got me, mm-hmm. but you fight, to, and that aided me in so many other things in my life. My upbringing, the fact that I was denied basic, uh, it's an education is a basic thing in America. It's a basic thing that everyone has a right to be able to get, and they were denying
0: us that type of basic right. Now. <clears throat> Now when did you start playing sports? Because you was a 2 sports athlete coming to college. So how did that come about? Well you know when I started, when I
1: realized I was going to be able to go to school, I started thinking i got to find a way to make it to college. It ain't going to be because of academics. (laughs) You know. And you don't, you family don't have it, the money. or oh, they didn't have any money. It was not going to happen. But you, but yes still, you thinking about college. You want to better yourself. Better myself, so. I started, I went and bought a basketball and a gold and put it up in my sister's backyard.
0: how old were you i About 13. Couldn't play, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Clumsy. <laughs> and you was tall at, at 13 years uh,
1: old? Maybe 6'2. Yeah, okay,
0: but that was tall. I yeah, thought, too, you know.
1: In that area, yeah. yeah. Skinny and turbo. So I go out to the basketball team and get cut. <laughs> coach cuts me. Who was your coach back then? Roosevelt Collins. He's the only coach who coached me who is still alive. He's 87 <laughs> years old. Okay. And he and I talk all the time about this. Okay, you know, we-, we talk about it. And I, I commend him, I said, I'm glad staying, you, staying your ground wasn't in effect back then because you would have kicked my butt <laughs> when you cut me and I came back in there. You see, he cut me and I came back the next day. Now that says a lot about you. Well, remember my father, I had to stand up to him. Okay. And this man cut me and I came back the next day. What happened with this? He talked about he said, I looked, he said, I see, I noticed you were looking at me it's because he was standing against the wall furthest away from us while we were on the, on the floor. And But there's something about that man too. Because we were
0: ruled, he was my ride home. <laughs> What's that bus? So <laughs> the man who knew you best brought you home every day and every day. He cut you. He cut me. But you showed back up. I showed back up. On your own, you didn't have no discussion with nobody. You decided as a young man. No, I didn't tell
1: anyone. And I went back out and he didn't say anything. He let me get in his car. He dropped me off. And every day he did it and I was terrible. (laughs) But what was happening? And I shared this with him recently. Because the bus would get us there early There was a little small guy named Lloyd Jones, was a guard. We would get to the gym early in the morning. And we would, he had a basketball and we would go in the gym and work. And he would work with me because his motor skills were good. My motor skills were not there. You got me? And every morning we put 15, 20 minutes. People, you'll be surprised. When you put time in and you do it every day, for five days a week we were doing it. And I was getting better. By the second year, I didn't do nothing the first year. The second
0: year, I got better. My motor skills caught out. But Coach Roosevelt let you stand on the team. He did. He let you dress out too? No.
1: <laughs> but he let me stay. He let me stay.
0: But <laughs> first you was because uh, you was on the team. You didn't dress out but you was on yeah. the team. Though, yeah. Yeah. Right? He
1: kept me around and, uh, yeah.
0: and uh, you know.
1: <laughs> but it was, a. Uh, he said, you know, he often said, you know how many people I cut? He said, a bunch of people I cut off that team that day, I cut you. You got me? Okay. He said, they took their, they took it. You wouldn't accept it. Why? I don't know. He said, why? He said, I don't know why you didn't accept your faith. <laughs> and he said, look what, what happened, what you've been able to go on and do, because that decision that
0: day, you didn't take it for what it was. You came right back. But, but, but he did not know. Yeah, you made that decision when you had that conversation with your dad. Yeah, that decision, I couldn't fail. Right. See, and he realized, he said,
1: after we talked later, he said, yeah, you couldn't fail. He said, you had to be successful. You couldn't go back home. Could you your dad. I couldn't yeah. go back home. Because I asked my daddy to give up. The only thing he ever knew how to do was for him. That's all he had done all his life. Uh-huh. He had to give that up but my daddy became a happier man because he he began to work construction and he made money for the first time in his life so he was did. a happier man so yeah. we
0: both profit okay. from that decision to leave because, Le- yeah because it, i guess your dad figured out my son 12 13 you old, got enough sense to realize that this is a dead end this a dead end job yeah dead in process we ain't going nowhere and before my daddy ended up dying he was
1: able to see me coach, and he knew. He was so happy that he knew the decision made back in 1963, sometime around that time. That it was the right decision. You got me? It was the right decision. That boy made the right decision. You know, and he, he probably said, I'm glad I didn't go and try to fight him to show I'm the father. I'll make the decision here. You got me? Sometimes that's... As parents, that's what we want to do, you got me? We want to tell our kids, I'm in charge here. You're not. But it was something of more powerful. It was a powerful moment that, that, that happened in people's life. You know, me telling the story could never let you see how powerful that situation was. Him on the east side of the wagon, I'm on the west side. He's looking at me, he's staring me down. He wants to win, he's the father. He wants to be correct, I'm the kid. Parents want to be correct. When there's a debate with their kids, you got me? Especially when they say, who in the hell do you think he knows more than me? Mm. But that wasn't what the powerful moment was you could see the spiritual value coming to, out of me into him. Not making my daddy weaker, but making him stronger to be able to say, go boy, go. <laughs> see, that took a lot of, you see, because there are moments when people think that they are, they are becoming, becoming weak and losing, but it, I, could, I could very much see the, the, what I was saying to him. I mean, just think about it though, uh, Lyman. The more I, I've talked about that situation, what a great setting, that wagon. It gave separation. It created the separation to be able to talk where nothing violent could happen. Right. You got me? You could talk, but there was separation there. See, a lot of people don't ever look at it because, you know, if my daddy didn't have that day, he might have choked me. He might have said, "When the hell you think you're talking to, son? You listen to me. Mm-hmm. But that wagon provided an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation.
0: Well guess what? How long did you strategize on, 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 on having that conversation in that place one day? Never strategize on it. That just happened. It just happened. Ooh, okay. It never crossed my mind. That was just one day, it
1: just hit you. Just hit I'm me. Tired of I'm tired of that. Never crossed my mind. I always knew I didn't want to do what we were doing, but to have the conversation.
0: You got me? You got to have the conversation. But then your dad has to be thinking, I taught my boy to be a man. I taught my boy to stand for, stand up for something he believed now if he's doing this to me i must done, i must be doing i must done a great job I, you know, I don't know if he said that you know, but you know, it I'm makes I'm sense angry. because you know whatever you got in you came from <laughs> him came from him yes you know so it's like i learned my lesson <laughs> the one the greatest lesson i've learned through my life is with having children is that we are here to teach them to teach them. but the most powerful thing is they are also here to teach us. That's right. And that's why I, I you like more from them. I
1: knew my son taught me so much, and I remember when my wife was alive, and she would say, why well, you let that boy say something thing he says? I said, how can I know what he's thinking? <laughs> I need to know what
0: he's thinking. <laughs> you got good. me? That's pretty I good. I said, I
1: need to know what he's thinking. So he says some things, yeah, but, and all I'm thinking too, but, she doesn't know. She didn't know
0: my daddy and I oh, that yeah, moment. Okay. That moment. You got me? So you had to give your boy that same opportunity. How you gonna strike him down and not allow him to rise up and be the man that, that, that that's the only way you
1: found you. That's the only way. I found myself and it made me because then I knew I had to, I had to go out there and be successful. But I didn't fantasize about it. I knew I had to go to work. And what did I do? I went and worked and bought a basketball, put the goal up and went to work. See, that's see, asking for a chance and getting it and not prepared to make it I, successful. I say opportunity, in Preparation me,
0: opportunity. Yeah.
1: Preparation means opportunity. Uh-huh. See it so when you start looking at me, I didn't just ask you for that. I knew I had to be successful. And when the man cut me, I knew that I couldn't
0: go home. <laughs> No, but you, and you put, but you put time in both, you put time to learn to read, and to get better at sports. Yeah. So fast forward, are you just coming to Can the I second? Can I tell you, but I cannot go
1: back with the reading and the sports. All right, then let's go. Because they work hand in hand sure. together, right. in my situation, every day I used to read the paper. Well I ran a mile to go get the paper, <laughs> ran a mile back. So for Super sports 25. purpose, yeah, for sports purpose, I'm building endurance. <laughs> Which I didn't have, you got me. Okay. So that was the sports part of it. The paper
0: was—you uh, had to go a whole mile. Where, where did you go to get the paper?
1: At the uh, general store. You, you go buy it, or you just go pick one up. I bought it. You bought it? But I can tell you, you're gonna like <laughs> this even better. <laughs> that newspaper. Uh huh. The man passed in front of my house. I could have just stopped him and give him the dime and get the paper. Why would I let that man take that paper? All the
0: way back to the store.
1: Because I knew I needed to run and get stronger. And build endurance. I, I was an asthmatic patient as a young kid. You got me? Didn't know it, but wasn't. But I realized how I had asthma. So I had to build endurance. So I let the man pass. <laughs> then they run and go get it. Every day. Every day, every day. Isn't that a beautiful? You see, most people couldn't, couldn't do that, wouldn't do it. And people were telling my mother I was crazy. But there was one, there was a white lady who reigned the post office at the general store. She was the daughter of the owner of the Eli And she realized it was, I was different. I would even come and mail a letter periodically, mail a letter off to somebody. That you wrote? Uh huh. Try to write. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it, you know. Uh, and uh, one day, because her brothers were so ugly acting, you know, she, because they probably would fuss at her if they saw her talking to a young black man, you got me? Mm. So she, the opportunity presented herself. They went around and she said, don't let my brothers kill your, kill your goal. Don't let them kill it.
0: Now, now how old were you and she at the time?
1: I was probably 14, 15 then, because I was getting better. Remember now, you in two years I made a lot of strides, physically and mentally, you got me? I made a lot of strides. I became to get stronger and Gaining confidence. I like confidence. I could speak better now. Remember, my first language was not English. Yeah, I want to talk about that too. It was Creole. That's what we spoke. You know, we, I didn't. I didn't grow up speaking English. Spoke I spoke Creole. And they still speak Creole in New Orleans. In, uh, New yeah, Orleans. not as much because everybody's dying, and I. I know very little words now. I used to speak mm-hmm. it. Fluently.
0: Okay, then. so you, so you didn't, didn't keep it up then,
1: then? No, didn't keep it When I go to places like New York and, uh, and Miami and some other places on the East Coast, and they got a lot of Haitian people, because we are Haitian, they speak Creole, uh, maybe they speak some with them. So your family are, are Haitian? Yeah, we're Haitian. Oh, okay. They didn't know I had to go and show them the genealogy, oh. but we are, we are from the Haitian. And probably, people in your family, because what they did when they brought the Haitian people to America, there was a, a road that came through Florida, New Orleans, uh, the Terrebonne Parishes, uh, Procopy Parish, into Lafayette Parish. What parish are you in? St. Mary? St. Mary. They're in there. They ended up in Bro Bridge. How okay. far you from Bro Bridge?
0: 40, 40 miles from... Yeah, Nigeria. you
1: got some Haitian that came in there.
0: I don't. I think we more from, like, the West Africa, Senegal, Okay, could be. Because I never... We never... There was not too many people in the area where I grew up in... about No, spoke... Talked about being Haitian. I don't spoke... Nobody French. spoke... Nobody spoke... Talked about Haitians
1: where I grew up. No, they
0: didn't? Oh, until they didn't.
1: I went and showed them about 10 years ago. So you did... See, that, I didn't you know... Said, I didn't know I was Haitian until 10 years ago.
0: That's
1: amazing. how We don't know our background. Didn't know it. There was never any interest in finding out until I took yeah. my son to the library on a blue bonnet and I went in the genealogy department. He was doing a, a, a research and I went in there and then the lady said, oh, you're Roger are you talking Come about? Come on are in you, here. Are you talking about, what's the name of what our friend
0: Jordan Smith. Do- Doctor, yeah, Jordan. Uh, Jordan Smith. Jordan Smith. Uh, I, it's, a, it's another I name. I know it's you. another. Jordan Woman Smith. Went, and I interviewed him. Uh, yeah. Edna yeah, Jordan, Jordan Smith. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I found out, and I saw a lot of things in there, and I said, "Wow, was really interesting." So m- me not speaking English was another drawback. And, you know, it was a drawback. So when I talk, it was different. And kids, what they do? They They tease. And they laugh and, you know, did it hurt? Yes. But I said, they are right. I could always put it in perspective. Why they're doing it makes sense. Because that's what they see. You got me? And I was able to, because I was a loner, it, it, it was easier to, to digest, you got me? It was easier to deal with. I could go in my private moments and understand why they were doing it. I wasn't having someone telling me, man, I will go kick his butt for talking. See, I didn't have nobody telling me that. Okay, they encouraged you to do something uh, otherwise. All I had was encouragement was, you're right, you gotta get better.
0: See, that was my encouragement. So now no no now back. You spoke Creole. So you didn't know how to read, nor write, nor speak English. <laughs> so you had a whole lot to overcome. That says a whole lot about you. You made up your mind. You was gonna you gonna learn to speak and write and you're gonna learn this language.
1: I'm gonna learn to make and I'm gonna make it in America. I've a lot to overcome.
0: In now so you your second year you got better. What you was like in the ninth grade now? Uh, now I'm in the tenth grade. The tenth grade. Now, so you are getting better at basketball. Now, how where had baseball coming in? There? Well, baseball was a little funny situation here.
1: Some of my teammates we playing basketball, and the basketball season is over with. And this is going into my junior year. God said, let's go out for the baseball team. I had not played baseball. But you know, we played in the yard, you got yeah, me? You play stick ball. Stick know, ball. Yeah, Do you played stickball. Stickball. I Do y'all stickball. I said, okay, go out and boy, I'm hitting this ball.
0: And I make the team. <laughs> it
1: wasn't like basketball. You hit the ball. Oh, was I hitting it. <laughs> it was so different than basketball when I struggled so badly didn't struggle that much in baseball but there always have been really good baseball players in my family my brother was really a good player my dad is his brothers they were good so you so, played around with it all oh, your coming up here. yeah in the summertime and uh, so uh, so I make the team I make that doing team and things really work out. I'm hitting the ball, I'm hitting them, I'm the talk of the thing about it. You know, even my senior year, there was a couple of professional scouts came to look at me. So, so now you figure, I got it going on, I
0: can do something now.
1: I can do something. But I was really getting good, I got really good in basketball. Because that's where my focus was. Well. There was a guy by the name of Joe the Pro Simpson. Oh, the white cancer. Everybody knows Joe the Pro. <laughs> we used to have some monumental battles when we played against each other. And every scout that came to see him. Saw you. All right. No, he told them about they need to come see oh, me. Joe told them that? Yes, he said, You need to go see the guy. And the, the people came. But when they saw my grades, <laughs> it was all over. But he said, I have to give Joe the Pro credit. Not that many high school players going to do that. They're only thinking about who themselves. Joe P- Pro promoted you. He promoted me as a high schooler. He told him, go see him. And that boy should
0: have played 20 years in the NBA, but he didn't. He yeah.
1: Guy. He was a pro at, in the eighth grade. That's why they call him Joe the Pro. I mean he was just one of the most fantastic talent I ever saw. So. What happened? Nothing because no grades. Then Southern, baseball. My baseball coach took me to Southern, brought me up to here. Emory Hines was the coach. Said, yeah, we got a scholarship for that (laughs) lad. Okay, I'm all happy. Oh, well we can't, he didn't sign me then, and we can't ever catch no one in the office. So the summer come and go, no scholarship. The fall come, no scholarship. I'm sitting at home. Now, this was after your senior year? After senior, after I graduate. So, so hold on. You bro.
0: don't want to go. <laughs> no, you no, want no. to go back. Okay. Hold on. Your coach, which one, Roosevelt? No, it was Solomon Jackson. Now, okay, Solomon this Jackson. is a baseball coach. Because coach Jackson, so I, I'm, I'm a, you good enough to play at Southern University. I'm going to bring you there to meet Coach Hines. And Coach I met you and, and agreed to give you a scholarship. But you don't hear from him again. You come up here looking for him. You don't catch up with him. And so came that nothing happens.
1: So I'm stuck at home in the fall. You, you, you ain't going nowhere. What would happen? Most people would give up, right? right? I said, I ain't giving up. I went and picked Pecan. I said, I'm going to pick Pecan and pay my way to go to Southern. I went and picked Pecan, had the money, and came up here one day in November to try and figure out how in the hell I'm going to get in school. Ran into a, a guy, he said, boy, you done in school? <laughs> said, Coach Hines never gave me my scholarship. He said, come on, let's go see the AD. The AD was U.S. Jones, Dean Jones. Okay. He said, Kedar, your name was on the list for a scholarship? I said, but nobody told me. He said, plus you are good enough to get a basketball scholarship. He said, I'm going to give you a basketball scholarship. He gave you two scholarships. Uh Uh-oh. He said, forget about the baseball. Oh, basketball, going to be full. Yes. He said, I'm giving you. And he said, you ain't got to play basketball your first year. You can play baseball, but you got to play basketball the next year. I said, yes, sir. That man... And he proved to be what he was, Emory Hyde. He proved to be a non-affectionate communication type of person. You know, I played four years for that man, I doubted we said ten words to each other. No. And I was one of his better players. He never said anything, and I mean, that man never apologized for screwing me around with that scholarship. They said the scholarship was there. It was there. But he
0: never communicated that it was there. And it was non-community. And, and, no. and how can I know a scholar, who I call, who I talk Well, about. we were calling, but you couldn't leave message in the <laughs> office
1: right. back then. I mean, I called a hundred times. You know I wanted that scholarship. <laughs> but again, it was another test. It was another test. You know, I don't get this scholarship. You give up, boy. Go home. Cry. Blame the world. I went and picked pecan and had enough money to pay for my schooling, but the guard said, oh, no, We're gonna, we, I'm going to let you d- run into this man, Mr. Alex Haysbury, who used to be an official, a basketball official. He knew I could play oh, basketball. so he knew your skill. Oh yeah, he seen me play. He knew, he said, Burn, let's go in here. See, I was pretty good in basketball, so I ended up uh, waiting it out and got to Southern, got that full scholarship, even got $15 a month. That's what they paid back there for clothes washing. That was
0: big time, yeah. Big time money. <laughs> you know? And, yet, and plus their saved a little money for picking for cars So you was rich when you got here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I made it.
1: I made it here. The challenge wasn't through now, uh, Lyman. Okay,
0: okay.
1: Remember I still had some, a big issue hanging over my head and what was it? Reading and writing and speaking. I wasn't there yet. Remember, socially promoting me didn't make me better. It only hurt me. So you still
0: in the same predicament when you you enter Southern University? Still there. Still can't read or write or speak English that way. Yeah. So let's go there. Let's hear about this one. Well,
1: I'm, I'm checking in. I'm a freshman into Jones Hall. And there's a guy from Vero Beach, Gifford, Florida, by the name Buck Jones. Buck was a baseball oh, player. Okay. And he's probably listening to me talking. <laughs> he said, hey big guy, <laughs> hey come on, let, let, we'll take all our classes together. This guy could have been a doctor, he's brilliant. I said, well I'm majoring in physics. That doesn't matter, I'm going to major in that too. That guy took and tutored me well. as much as he could. He was brilliant, and he brought me along. It got me through my first and second year. Even I remember a couple of teachers say, "You shouldn't be in college." They told me that I should never be in college. Say, "You're not college material," and I never, I never even responded because I was a little disappointed that a teacher would ever tell somebody that. You got me? Hmm. You know, uh, but again. <laughs> They probably were right in the way they were thinking. You got me? If you only look at the, you're going to think you're going to get the best student. Southern existed for people like me back in the days. That's why Southern existed. It had an open-door policy. Everybody comes. Now, and, and you already knowing you got issues. I knew I had issues. But you need help. I needed help, and she's trying to deny me that help. So, but but.
0: Robinson, R- Buck R- Jones. Jones encouraged you, and you encouraging yourself, <clears throat> but you in college now. You got to read these books, do homework. You got to do Now you got to perform. Oh, I have, have to course. perform now. You got to take tests. So how did you maneuver around all this? I
1: had no social life. I had, I, after practice, I went to eat, and I'm, study I'm in the books I had zero social life but you made a commitment to yourself though. the commitment was that's there. powerful coach that I made the commitment no but, but, he,
0: but you was a loner anyway though. I was a loner, was a loner anyway, anyway. yeah <laughs> and you was a loner and you're not comfortable with yourself either you okay. can't you don't think I can't speak English that well people, you don't want people to think you dumb and stupid you know that's dumb right man. So once you open your mouth they're going to think you're dumb and stupid you got me <laughs> And that's what they were
1: thinking about me. And there were some people every now and then. A young lady said, "Oh, you have such a beautiful accent, you know." And this is, (laughs) I wasn't getting that kind of love. You (laughs) got? I said, "Where the hell you from? Speaking that way? (laughs) Where the hell are you from? Oh my goodness!" So, but you see, let me tell you, by working hard. And I I barely, I barely scaled the the line to be eligible. I stayed eligible. And something by the time I was a junior, it kicked in. Got really good. And by the time I was a senior, I made the honor roll. You made the honor roll. You doing right. <laughs> Coach, you made
0: the honor roll at Southern University. You, I made the honor roll with commitment. You stepped your game all the way stepped up. stepped it up, man. That, that had to be a proud moment, Coach, when you, to, to get to that place where you, in your mind, you still was questioning yourself. You had to be questioning yourself. I was feeling good, though, but because you, I, you, I had
1: made a commitment uh, to forget about a social life, academic, athletic. Remember, I'm playing two sports. That On two top sports. of that, I'm playing two yeah, sports. you busy. The other thing is is when I was on campus, I never missed one day of class. Never? Not one day. You went to all your classes? Every class I went to when I was on campus. And when we would go out of town, I made sure I went and tell all my teachers, we'll be on a road trip, I won't be in class. Because you took care of your business. I understood what it took to be, I understood what it took. I had to go above and beyond. I had to make sure I got, Cross all my, I, I dot all my I's and cross all my T's. I couldn't, I couldn't stumble. You see what I'm saying? Well you can't stumble, you got to, there are things you can do right that'll help you. I realized I could not stumble. You're going to be out. That's right. Now who were some of the
0: great athletes you played with
1: at Southern University? Well you know Harold Carmichael and I played basketball. Big
0: seven, six-foot-seven
1: yeah. wide receiver. Aaron yeah, Hall- we played, uh, you know, I played with uh, uh, Danny Goodwin was the one in the great uh, uh, baseball name in baseball. He's the only player in the history of Major League Baseball has been the very first player taken in the draft twice. 71 out of Piroya High School in Illinois by the White Sox and 75 by the California Angels at Southern University. So he I played with him and uh, you know, I was in school with Rodney and Bill Byrne and we were really close friends.
0: Yeah, Rodney um, was I like Rodney. You Rodney yeah, was, a Rodney good was guy.
1: really good people. Yeah, he was a good sweet, person. kind person. And the guy was an Olympian but you a golden no people you would never have known them. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of person I'm talking about. You know, he he never wanted to let people know I'm a gold medalist. He never he wanted, he just was a normal a life kind of guy, you know. Well,
0: you was over here with my partner Jubilee Dunbar. Jubilee Dunbar, yeah. <laughs> Wide receiver. Isaiah
1: Robinson, and uh, who was a great player in the NFL. Uh, I remember Jubilee and I had classes together.
0: I, was Mel Blunt still here? Mel Blunt had just left
1: okay. before I got here. That's amazing, though, it was really athletes.
0: <sighs> Came through
1: Southern University back then. No, that's amazing. It's a
0: lot of them, um. (laughs) man. man can shackle the hand. The man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.